It's Cofield and Company. Friday. I guess that's what the music means. Cofield and Company. No Steve Cofield. He's on the way to San Antonio where UNLV will be playing. Get into that game a little bit. And everything going on here in Las Vegas on this weekend. Not like last weekend. Last weekend was insane. Kind of look back on how crazy the sports weekend was in Vegas. A little bit slower this time around, but still plenty going on. And uh, it doesn't seem like Friday even though the music is playing because the Raiders don't play till Monday. So we'll get into a little bit of that, but I guess first it's trending at three presented by Nova home loans. Call now at eight, seven, seven, 700 Nova. I think that's what I was going for. I don't know. Willie Ramirez here on this killing his homies, I guess Cofield company takeover edition on this Friday. How you doing, sir? What's happening? You know, I was looking at the trending at three, and one thing that none of us sent over for today, today is the release of the Many Saints of Newark. Very big. Very huge. We can get into We can talk about whatever we want to, so we can get into that later on. I'm just letting you know. Program. And, you know, and, 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 and Steve had a hand in everything, you know, as well. And I'm just, you know, I mean, Jersey boy. Nobody sure. even brought that up, and I just it just dawned on me because I'm looking at my inbox, and HBO Max reminded me. So, there you go. we will we'll talk about that later. I think most people around Las Vegas know it is a different day, uh, October first. Obviously, um, ways on our town still, and we'll obviously talk about that as the show continues. Golden Knights play tonight over at T-Mobile Arena. I'm sure it'll be a very emotional evening. Get into that as well. Uh, but Will, it seems like a it's a weird weekend, uh, as I said, because uh, the Raiders don't play till Monday, so everything's kind of thrown off, pushed back a little bit. Um, can hang out on Sunday over at the Westgate. You guys can too. Get on down there. We'll be out there with Adam Candy eight a.m. Get ready for the football day, and then hanging out uh, throughout the day as well. Uh, but you know, it, it's just a it's a weird uh, weekend with everything. Uh, you know. You're trying to focus on what's going on and enjoy your life, but you're also looking back. And as I said, we'll talk about it being uh, October 1st in just a minute. Um, but first, it's a little bit new in the day. Hmm. So I want to get into the fact that it looks like the Mountain West is at least going to stay together for now, I guess. Uh, Colorado State Air Force flirting with the AAC. Looks like they will remain. I know San Diego State has had some discussions. So they're holding it together, it feels like, with duct tape at the moment. <clears throat> yeah, and I think Air Force and Colorado State made their decisions once they saw that Boise State and San Diego State decided to stay in the Mountain West Conference. So, of course, I've been, or I'm sure you have too, been getting um, emails from the Mountain West uh, Conference Realignment Statement from Mountain West Board of Directors. 
So they, uh, it says, the trailblazing Western institutions of higher education in the Mountain West Conference are proud of our academic excellence, strength of our athletics program, programs and the splendor of our campuses. And today we are announcing our collective commitment to membership in the Mountain West. They released a statement. It goes on um, once, of course, the those four members collectively, and it was reported by Pete Demmel that um, they would be staying in the Mountain West. So I guess for now, it, things are safe. Um, there will be no divorce. There will be no breakup. There will well, be no... Uh, for today. That we know of, yes. So they were able to keep teams from going to the AAC. They won't be able to stop teams from going to the Big 12 or Pac-12 if they want to go there at some point. And so it's time to you know, come up with plans, right? Like you need to decide what the future of the conference is because you know you're going to get rated at some point. Yeah. And, yeah, you were able to, you know, like the, the storm is blowing, the, the hurricane's blowing through, and two teams were about to blow away into a different conference, and you, you know, grabbed onto a tree and with one hand and with the other hand held them back from leaving. But you're still in the storm. It's basically just, yeah, it's, I mean, you, you basically put a Band-Aid over the wound that has stitches and it doesn't know, you don't know if it's, you know, if it's going to tear open or when it will, you Wait, know, did resurface. you just try to take my analogy and just go one step further with sure. a different analogy? Sure, of course. <laughs> so it's either a weather gonna... disaster or like a horrific cut. Yes, okay. it's, 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 or, or both. All right. It's a horrific cut in a weather storm. But the bottom line is, is the Mountain West Conference definitely, as you said, knows that these are these are schools that have been approached or have been flirting with and that are willing to conversate with other conferences. And here's the thing. You know, the AAC is one thing, but as you mentioned, the Big 12, the Pac-12, I mean, if a Power 5 comes calling, any one of these schools... And the ones that we haven't brought up when this first surfaced a couple of weeks ago, um, namely UNLV, namely UNR, if if they're flirted with, there's there's no question that uh, the courting could go a different direction the next time around. Yeah, so I think that's the key that we we said yesterday. Well, Craig Thompson didn't really have a plan for what was going to happen to keep teams around to make make the league stronger to give them a better footprint in order to make it appealing for some of these teams to stay around, and now it's too late. Well, you've been able to salvage those teams for now, but all this is is do not rest. Do not be like, oh, thank goodness, they're staying. We've got our league intact. That's not the right attitude here. I think that's that's the key to, to point out. All this does is buy a little bit of time for you to try to figure out what to do next uh, if you are the Mountain West Conference, which, of course, um, is on the is on the brink. I think it's fair to say it, it's it's a strong league right now, but what is it in two years, three years, four years? That's for the powers to be to figure out uh, over at the Mountain West. Uh, in terms of the Golden Knights, they are in the midst of the preseason. We talked about the game over there uh, at the Mac tonight, but last night they were up in Salt Lake. At least part of the squad was a couple of the guys. Uh, it seems like most of the team kind of stayed home, uh, but Robin Leonard did make the trip. He played in that game tonight excuse me, played the game last night, didn't finish the game last night, uh, came out after two periods. Sounds like it was just precautionary. How concerned do you think the city is anytime they hear any potential that Robin Leonard missed time? 
Well, whether it's Robin Leonard or Mark Stone getting blasted in the side of the face <laughs> by a Braden McNabb shot, I mean, it's – or the side of the head, you know, they're so guarded with what they say – it takes so long for this team. It's not all of hockey. I know, you know, as we've gotten used to covering the NHL, um, the uh, you know we say you know the NHL upper body, lower body, but there are teams out there that just come right out and tell you what the injury is or what it is. With the Golden Knights, you never know. Precautionary, well. They may not say what's wrong with him. Maybe it's because they don't want to disclose. Maybe it's because they don't want to put, you know, they don't want to speak things into existence. But the bottom line is you're never going to know um, until it comes time to start the regular season, I guess, at, at right now with where we're at. But you just never know with this team um, what's right, what's, you know, what's real, what's not, if they're if – they're, being guarded with their, always when it comes to injuries, you know. So um, when you see that, when you're watching it, when you're seeing, when if you're on social media and you see, you know, Leonard's comes out, Pete DeBoer said, as you said, it was precautionary, but um, they'll they'll play tonight. They'll take the ice. Obviously, I, I doubt that he'll play. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me just say, he's not playing. Yeah. <laughs> No chance he's playing. He's a, he's out. But of course, he's you know out. where are they going to? People will run with that. They'll Day-to-day. run with that. Yeah. So. Well, he, yeah, I don't think he would play it anyway in a back to back after playing up in Salt Lake City. But uh, yeah, it's a, you know, that was the the benefit last year. While there was a lot of criticism of spending so much money on goaltenders, the benefit was if somebody gets hurt. And two years ago it was Flurry. Last year it was Leonard. Um, if somebody gets hurt, then you just go to the other guy and let him take over as the primary goaltender for a while. Uh, now you don't really have that. I mean, I, I think there's some confidence in uh, Laurent Brossois, uh to, which I speak more French than he does apparently, which is great. We, um, oui, oui. you so do you. One word. That's all. That's all, that's all you need. Um, I got a couple others. But... I, I think there's. What do What do you got? <laughs> je m'appelle. Okay, you're, je m'appelle. You have to. I mean, you can't just say je m'appelle. You je m'appelle Willie. Okay, there you go. Comment allez-vous? Eh. <laughs> there you go. I was, you know what I was about to say? <laughs> I, was about to... <laughs> I was thinking of the movie uh, Jumping the Broom when there's the scene where she's speaking French and then he goes, un poquito, and she says, oh, that's Spanish. <laughs> so when you said... What on earth is Jumping the Broom? You never seen that movie? Is it a witch movie? No, 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 no. Just going to let you... What know. is it about? It is about a young man who is go- is getting married. He's proposed to his his bride, and um, one is very well off, very well to do uh, family. the The bride's family is well to do, um, and Jason's mom is a postal worker in the city, and they go out to the. Is it the Hamptons, I believe, to, to get married? And, and you have these two totally different cultures clash together um, for the weekend. It's all being held on their property. And jumping the broom is an, uh, when you jump the broom, is an old uh, tradition without giving too much weight. You have to see the movie, though. But when did this movie come out? You, you, can't, there's, you can't say spoiler two, alert if two, it's like a 20-year-old movie. 2011. 
It's okay. Ten years old with Paula Patton and Laz Alonzo. Good movie. Paula Patton's in it. Yeah. Angela Bassett's in it. Angela Bassett. I know I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> watch this. And of course, Loretta Devine, who's always plays a great role. Uh, she's in it. She she plays the the groom's mother. Yeah, it's it's worth what the, it's worth to watch. You'll get it. You'll, you'll enjoy it. I'm backed up so far on things I have to watch. Just watch the movie. This is a nightmare. All right. Uh, after that description, we have to reset. <laughs> Think about what we're doing. Uh, we'll, we'll, that's, that's Spanish. Uh, we'll, we will come back on the other side. Uh, Raiders practice today, kind of. We saw some of it. Uh, get to that and so much more here on this Friday. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Justin Herbert always sounds like he's speaking in movie quotes, but they're so obscure, we can't ID which ones. Now attack it. Yeah, baby, yeah! Get him out of there. Let it fly. Get a round of applause. Get in my belly. Great success. Yes. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Back here, Coalfield and Company on this Friday. Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez. What is that comeback music? Little, uh, hello? Hello. Flying Lotus. Am I on? You're on. I'm what answering. is that comeback music? It's that's the takeaway. Not Justin Herbert's crazy, awful uh, movie impersonations. You want to know about the song? It's uh, "Flying Lotus." It's called. All right, this is the group. Uh, "Massage Situation" is the song. Sure. Very relaxing. I like oh. his Sunday night slow jams. Yeah, call I in sneak with your in request. When Steve's not here. This, yeah, call you know, in with your problems. You ever listen to the slow jam request when they come on? on the... Doesn't uh, isn't it with like Delilah? We're too old for that. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, sometimes you'll hear me like, hey, hey, this is Precious K. I want to send a shout out to. <laughs> when, when, when were you listening to the radio? In 1992? <laughs> they still, <laughs> they still happen do. anymore? Yeah, sure they do. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're what? We're 20 minutes in. The show has just completely gone sideways. That makes sense. That adds up. Uh, <laughs> Raiders did practice today. It's you know you don't get to see a whole lot at practice, and uh, I love one of my favorite things when you're listening out there. If you uh, if you follow the Raiders and you hear some of the sound bites, John Gruden also likes to say, "Well, you guys don't get to see it, but we could if you open practice. We, yeah. get, we could see it. You're always telling us, hey, you should see this at practice. Well, then let us. Uh, but no, it's it's standard procedure uh, at the NFL level of not watching. In fact, today it seemed like well, uh, the UNLV football level too. That's well, some yes for sure. Uh, so, yeah, we, we didn't get to see a whole lot of what was going on. Josh Jacobs came back yesterday uh, to practice. Sounds like he wasn't quite at full speed. I, we're hoping that we can find that sound from Derek Carr yesterday because it is open to a lot of interpretation. I don't want to state my opinion on what Derek Carr said. If you want to, you can. Now, did you go outside yesterday after? You were out there, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Did, did you? I saw Josh practice a little. Did you see him? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm today too. Okay. I didn't go outside today. I was do, working on some stuff, but I, uh, I mean, he was making. They were, you know, the little drills that we were allowed to see. I didn't see them running plays, but they were just doing station drills. I mean, he looked like he was going full speed. He looked like he was making cuts. I, you know, th- it, there's a lot more to it when you're just 
going through the motions, taking a handoff from from you know one of the quarterbacks, and um, nobody's bumping you or you're going up against anybody. So I, you know that remains to be seen. But I mean, just just running in general and making cuts, he looked fine. Well, I mean, I think my question is, and and I've um, I told you I've, I did a few spots today in different parts of the country. And they kept asking, like, is Josh Jacobs back? And my question back, and this is not this is not a shot at Josh Jacobs. This is a shot, not even a shot at anybody. It's it's about the state of running back position in general. But my response to is Josh Jacobs back this week has been Does it matter? What does it matter? Running backs for the most part, um, don't don't really make that much difference. Uh, that's why people don't draft him in the first round. That's why people don't pay him big bucks. There's very few running backs that truly matter. Josh Jacobs is a special running back, but it's a lot of in in his number. His actually actually his advanced metric numbers look really good too in terms of yards after contact and broken tackles and that stuff. Like he's good. He's really good. But like they're not. They had a good running game in the second half last week because they wore down the Dolphins defense. They for the most part, haven't been able to run the ball this year, not because Josh Jacobs is hurt, because they can't block. And, yeah, if you can block, Josh Jacobs is going to turn seven-yard gains into 12-yard gains. He's going to he's gonna do that extra work, and he's going to make you more impactful. But until they can block, it doesn't really matter who's running the ball. Josh Jacobs is the type of running back that can have an impact on an offense, but this is the type of offense that is not impacted by his absence. Yeah, and, again, I I think it's it, it's it's not – Fair to say, it's not impacted at all. It's just I don't think that's a key difference in the game of whether that's he plays. Or not. Well, it's it's just it's not. It hasn't been. He's been in for what? How, how long? You know, what, sparingly, whatever it was one game. Yeah. So I mean, um, Peyton Barber, you know, cleaned things up last week, and this is you know Derek Carr has utilized his receiving depth, and uh, like you said, they 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 spread it out, wore down the Dolphins. Use the, you know, they've been to two overtime games. So, I mean, are you going to say, well, if they had, nobody's, nobody is saying, well, if they had Josh Jacobs, this period, (laughs) it's, uh, now if he comes back, he will make a difference. But then, you know, you're taking something away in terms of maybe what Kenyon Drake brings out of the backfield as a receiving running back. Maybe what we saw from Peyton Barber last week, um, you know, it's. It, I think that they're, they're the the key thing with this offense is that we've yet to see it fully healthy, and we've yet to see its full potential. And it's three and zero, so yeah. I think it's going to be tested. Finally, this is this is going to be a good you know gauge on the road Monday Night Football against a division rival. We're going to try to hear uh, from Derek Carr. I want to play the Derek Carr clip that he talked about Josh Jacobs yesterday. Hopefully, we can get that. Um, just because I want to, I want to leave it open. To interpretation from those out there. I think I kind of have a feeling what he's saying. I know a lot of people had opinions on what he's saying. Let's hope we can hear that in a little bit. But uh, first, we're going to break down the Charger side of things for this Monday night game. Uh, Greg Camarillo, former Charger from NBC San Diego, joins us next. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. 
in my past, you know, before playing in SoFi last year with no fans, like you always looked at it as another home game, and that's no disrespect, it's just a fact, you know. And you know the way you practice, the way you meet, you know, like it felt like a home game. And uh, I, I fully expect Raider Nation to, you know, take over the majority of the stadium again. They usually do. Now back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Back here, Cofield and Company on this Friday. And it's weird. It's such a weird week. I know we had a Monday Night Football game before. But Monday Night Football just throws... Because during football season, Willie, you and I covering the team and being out there every day, you get into like this routine. And every day you kind of know what day it is by your routine. But then when it's Monday Night Football, like today was a was like a, a, a Thursday. Thursday practice, not yeah. like a Friday practice. Tomorrow will be Saturday, but it'll be a Friday practice. It throws, you, it throws off your whole week. So hopefully by the end of the show today, we'll remember... It's Friday, it uh, and the game is three days away, not two days away like it usually is. Uh, but we do want to start to preview it, uh, even though we'll have some time Monday to talk about the game. We'll uh, be there. I'll be there, yeah, for a Monday morning. A nice, uh, nice and early. You know 6 where I'll be. 6 a.m. flight. You'll be at Twin Peaks. With Steve. Yeah. Watching the game with Steve. Yeah. Uh, I was there last night, actually, watching uh, baseball and uh, some NFL football. It was a great time. Uh, so highly recommend you get down there. I also highly recommend you go to San Diego very soon, but the Chargers are now in L.A. Uh, Greg Camarillo, former Charger uh, from NBC San Diego, joins us right now. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, guys. I appreciate the uh, little plug for San Diego right there. Oh, it's my favorite city in the world. Nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. Try to go there anytime I have days off, which during the football season is not very often. Uh, unfortunately, we have to go to L.A. this Monday. Uh, what? What? How do you describe I know I talked to Raiders players all week about – what Raiders Chargers games are like? What are they like from your perspective? Well, in my days of playing uh, for the Chargers in the AFC West, especially because I had Coach Schottenheimer, um, who also was coach with the Chiefs, there it felt as real as a rivalry as you can get in professional sports. So in college, the rivalries are a little more deeply ingrained because it's school versus school, not so much just team versus team. But this was as close as you could get to replicating like a, like a college rivalry. There was like an actual hatred for each other. Um, and you got more hype when you were playing the Raiders. When it was Raiders-Chargers week, you brought more energy in practice. And you knew the crowd was going to be bigger and more into it and often more Raidery than, uh, than, than the Chargery. But um, there's just that extra buzz. And then you add in the fact that this week that it's Monday night, which already adds an extra buzz. Uh, and it's just a great environment. And then – both teams are really good this year on top of that. So uh, it's pretty much everything you could ask for in a Raiders-Chargers Raiders matchup. Greg, the and around town and on social media, everybody, the Raider Nation, they're saying that it's this could possibly be an invasion from Las Vegas. A lot of silver and black coming down there. Is Los Angeles slowly but surely warming up? To the Chargers, and what do you expect? You know, is in in remembering what the crowds looked like, um, whether it was in Oakland, whether it was in San Diego, wherever wherever it may have been, um, when Raider Nation sort of invades Charger territory, um, what do you expect to see from that perspective, um, as far as the fan bases are concerned? Yeah, well, I mean, I would argue that Raider Nation doesn't even have. A necessarily one city. It is like a cultural movement <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and so it, even in, when we went to Oakland, clearly the, the black hole and the crowd there was big, but you know, it wasn't in, in my years, 05, 06, 07, playing in the, uh, the AFC West 
it wasn't the greatest years for the Raiders, so it was only the diehard fans, not an entire stadium full of people that it was going to be on Monday night. Uh, and I would also argue that L.A. is the Raiders' home, basically, that the Chargers are invading uh, Raiders' territory. There's going to be way more Raider fans uh, when they – the Chargers had their first home game against the Cowboys. I had a couple friends at the game, and they estimated 75 to 90% were Cowboy fans. Wow. And, you know, I, I get it that they have – Cowboys have camp um, in Southern California, so there's fans there. But we know there's more Raider fans than Cowboy fans. So, I, I mean, it's going to be a Raiders house. The Raiders offense is going to operate in silence, where the Chargers offense at home is going to have to work off the cues because it's going to be loud. We uh, just got the injury report sent over to us. Um, you know, the talk of the Raiders has been somewhat of a banged-up offensive line here and there, and the defense has been tattered. Looking at the Chargers, um, Keenan Allen was limited in, in practice today, as was Matt Overton. Um, but uh, looks like uh, Gilman and James were back to full practice. What are the Chargers? What do they look like as far as also Joey Bosa uh, full practice today? And um, yesterday and today with his foot and ankle, what, how do the chargers look as far as health wise coming into this week? Yeah. Well, you, you kind of broke it down for us. The chargers for the last several years have looked great on paper. When you just look position by position at the beginning of a year, they look like they have all the pieces and then injuries have been a huge problem. So when this team is full force, I mean, they have, they have talent. They have a lot of talent. Um, and so, you know, you, you, Joey Bosa is a huge piece of that because he, you know, he creates that pass rush. Derwin James is an animal that can play anywhere, rush the passer, get interceptions all over the board. And, I mean, Keenan Allen, I'm not too worried about him. We saw him play last week. Limited is, you know, for, for a veteran, as long as he's been around, that just means he's moving a little slower. But um, he's been playing at such a high level. And it's, it's, as a receiver, it's great to watch him. He, his routes are beautiful. His hand, you know, his hands, his ball catching, amazing. So, when the Chargers are healthy like they are now, uh, they're missing one or two people up front. I believe Belaga is, is out. Um, they're talented and they are good. And the fun part is the Raiders are equally talented and the Raiders are equally good. So I'm excited for this matchup. Saw a quote on Twitter um, from our good friend Gilbert Manzano uh, from today. Keenan Allen on Casey Hayward. Great guy, great teammate, great competitor. So it's going to be fun when Casey is ready to play. He's goes pretty good. Last year, he just happened to have injuries. Um, there is some 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 Charger infused uh, Raiders on this squad. Um, yeah. including Gus Bradley, the the effect that that could possibly have in terms of, you know, knowing knowing some systems, knowing some nuances, if you will. Um, but at the same token, uh, the Chargers know, you know, what what the mindset is of a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, so looking at that that Casey Hayward Keenan Allen matchup right there, two guys that obviously know each other very well. You know, I was a receiver, and so I always felt that when I knew the DB, when I played against a guy that I had practiced for a long time, that I had the advantage because we can design my routes based on his weakness. Whereas a DB, if you know what I do and you can take away the best of it, we can still move formations, we can put into motion, I can change positions. Like, we can find ways to manufacture what I do well. But with a DB, say I know his, his weakness is, uh, you know, a fade on the right side. Well, let's run a fade on the right side. Or if I know that if I push outside and I can run a slant versus him, well, let's get that set up so I can, so I can do that versus him. Whereas a DB, 
you kind of got to go with what's dealt to you. You can you, you protect him with safeties or zone coverage, but I think the advantage goes to the receiver in that situation. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch Keenan Allen uh, in his mastery of route running going against his old, his former teammate. That's the voice of Greg Camarillo, former Charger. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Casey Hayward in general because he said something interesting the other day. I think most people would would kind of concur that he had been one of the better corners around. Last year wasn't his best year. Now, talking to people around the Chargers sounds like there's a lot of injury problems and things that held him back. But a lot of people certainly around the league were kind of writing him off and saying, hey, he was great, but he's getting older. That's a sign of decline. He didn't play very well last year. Um, now he's looked fantastic for a few games. But when we asked him the other day about all those naysayers saying, hey, last year uh, you showed signs of wear, you were, you were kind of finished, um, it seemed like you were done. He said, that's news to me. I never heard any of that. <laughs> like, you're, yeah. you're a former player. Like, is, is it possible to avoid all those kind of com- – you have to know those things are being said, right? No, you know, you know they're coming. No, no matter what you do, if you, you know, even if you don't go on Twitter, you'll, someone in your family is going to bring it up. <laughs> so one of your friends is going to mention it. You, you know, you have a feeling for what's being said. But I, I love Casey Hayward. Been really enjoyed watching him play with the Chargers. Uh, he plays smart. He's really great in coverage wherever you put him. Uh, and then, he, you know, probably one of the reasons I think that he's underrated is he, he's not like this loud DB. You normally see DBs when they make a play, you know, they're jumping around. They're, they're doing the no-catch sign. They're in the face of the wide receiver. He just handles business, lines up, handles business again. Uh, and so I don't think he gets that same attention that the louder DBs get, but he absolutely makes those plays. He was a cornerstone of the secondary uh, for the Chargers for years. Uh, and this dude, this dude is talented. And with DBs, knowledge is huge. Your ability to diagnose what's coming at you is huge. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no uh, replacement for athleticism, which I believe he still has. But that experience and that knowledge that he would bring to a secondary is huge. This is a huge game, obviously, for the Raiders and Chargers. It always is when they play each other. Uh, but both kind of have their sights set on, you know, postseason and, and even beyond. Both yeah. teams believe that they're really good. But you do still have the Chiefs out there, and they've looked vulnerable. But, like, right now, who is the best team in the AFC West? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, uh, man. Oh, I, I do a podcast, and we rank the AFC West. Okay. And it's, as crazy as it sounds – I still have Kansas City as the most dangerous team, which is wild because they're in last place. They're one and two, literally in last place. Denver is three and zero, tied with first with the Raiders, but they have beaten three teams that have not won a game. So that's not a real litmus test as to how good they are. The Raiders and the Chargers, to me, are very similarly talented teams. They get great pass rush without blitzing. They get um, they spread the ball around on the on on the offense as far as the pass game. Uh, you know, Carr can get it to anyone. He last week had nine receivers get catches. The Chargers had eight re- different receivers get catches. The difference to me is the run game. The Raiders have been able to establish more of a run game. The Chargers are struggling with their run game. Um, so I, I focus my attention on that. But, you know, I can't knock anyone back to your question for ranking the Raiders as the best team in the AFC West. One, their record says it. Uh, and two, they're an incredibly well rounded team. You just. You just can't count out Patrick Mahomes and the weapons that he has. And I, to piggyback on that, I was going to go transition from teams to quarterbacks because obviously um, if you were to ask who's the best quarterback in the AFC West, 
I mean, 99.9% outside of maybe Raider Nation um, and, and Carr himself are going to say Patrick Mahomes. But when you look yeah. at it, you know, both Derek Carr and Justin Herbert have somewhat they've had a flair for some late comebacks, a um, couple of overtime wins for the Raiders. Carr leads the league with uh, a little over 1,200 passing yards. Herbert fourth in the league. He's led a couple of comebacks. Um, Are we are we poised for possibly the best showdown between these two thus far? Um, Because I mean, it's it it seems as if they are both having or or on. It's only three games in, but maybe on pace to have career seasons. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know a lot can change. Last last year at this point, Russell Wilson was the clear MVP, and then we saw that fall apart. So. You know, we can't crown somebody this early, but Carr and Herbert could not ask for better starts as quarterbacks. They are both on fire. They are both clicking in their offense, finding all their different weapons. Um, but I, I would have to slap some sense into anyone that would not pick Patrick Mahomes as the best quarterback in the division. He's the best quarterback in the league. So, um, you know, he's had some, a little bit of struggle, but to me, he's still the best quarterback in the division but there is not much fall off when you get to Carr and herbert these guys are playing out of control greg where can people uh, check you out and uh, find your stuff yeah check me out on twitter at catch camarillo um it started a podcast with a former teammate uh, marcus mcneil who was a left tackle for philip rivers for seven years uh and a radio guy named matt scraby so check us out at two pros and a joe uh wherever you get your podcast and uh yeah, man, appreciate you guys having me on. For sure, man. Be careful of those uh, radio guys. They'll get you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All, right. All right, man, have a good one. All right. There you go. Great Camarillo. Great stuff from him. Chargers Raiders coming up Monday night. Of course, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that game on Monday, but uh, breaking it down for you uh, a little bit today. Get a little bit of a, a sampling of that going into the weekend. And it's a big weekend for college football. We'll check in with Tom Ramsey next. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Back here, Cofield and Company on this Friday. You named that too? It's familiar, but no. Eric B and Rakim don't switch the Eric, technique. You're right. God, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm physically angry at myself. Ari me. knows my love for Eric B and Rakim. They're great. I sure a little before me, but I've definitely caught yeah. up on all their stuff. Rakim's definitely, I mean, the new school and newer than your school, because right? you're old school and you appreciate old school hip hop, but the new school, new, new school, they tend to forget some of the pioneers when they do their little goat lists. It's very infuriating. But anyway. well, everything gets better with time. Well, we, can, we can talk about this later. Oh, yes, Kend- we Kendrick, we're going to. Kendrick's yeah, doing the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, I'm so yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, sorry, sorry to throw this, just completely stop the show and then throw to Tom Ramsey, uh, college football analyst, former uh, football player in the NFL. And and at UCLA, how you doing, sir? I, I'm doing great. If you guys are talking old school, you got the right guy. All right. Really, you're <laughs> in. Oh yeah. Hey, listen, I'm uh, I'm probably older than both of you guys, but I, I remember I was class of '83 coming out of UCLA. Okay, so just, uh, it's a math problem. What was you know what? I'll, I'll just throw it out there. Was hip hop catching on in LA? Every, everybody talks about New York at the time. Like that's where the hip hop um, scene was. Well. LA's always had, I think, has always been a great repository for music. And I was listening, wasn't necessarily hip hop so much as kind of uh, uh, 
confusion. Okay. And so if you remember Weather Report and Camel and some other uh, uh, bands that used to play at the Roxy on Sunset, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I'd be going, I, I went to places like that. And so I've always listened to stuff that's out of the box. And then uh, the early, I guess, rap when it was really, really young. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was listening to this stuff all the time. That's, that's tremendous. Uh, I don't yeah. know how much, how much Adele you listen to. This is my awkward segue. Uh, I've loved, <laughs> loved the Adele commercial for Brady and Belichick and just the setting the tone. I mean, this is as big as an NFL football game gets. And I was handed information. I didn't fact check this myself, but did, were you the last player to wear 12 for the Patriots before Brady? Thank you. Thank you very much. My number will be retired in Foxborough. <laughs> I am. I introduce myself sometimes as, well, I was number 12 before number 12. And, <laughs> and I, in fact, I used that line this week and I was greeted with a big hug by a new England Patriots uh, mega fan. It was it was it was fantastic. So you weren't the first twelve. You weren't just the first twelve in New England. You were the first Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when well, he, I mean, because he, yeah. he, you know, he he may or may not have said, you know, I, I thank Tom Ramsey for letting me use his number. So so guys, here's a really interesting thing about my career in New England. I was bookended by two great number twelves. Okay. TB12 is kind of goes without saying he's the goat. He's the best that's ever played the game. So when I got to new England, everyone was like, Oh, you're that guy. We love you. And I was like, wait a minute. I've only been here for, you know, three weeks. Matt Cavanaugh was the holder on the John Smith field goal. Remember when the guy, they let out of the uh, penitentiary and the guy had the snowblower and he came by and, sure. And uh, yeah, the Dolphins, wasn't it? It was Dolphins, yeah. and in the middle of you know dead of winter, and uh, all of a sudden the snowblower comes through and just happens to clear off the space where John Smith was going to kick a game-winning field goal. Well, number twelve, Matt Cavanaugh was his holder, so everyone when I got there, everyone thought I was that guy <laughs> when I first got there. So <laughs> now they think, wow, number twelve is kind of cool. Like, really, you wore twelve in, in New England, man. <laughs> It's a good thing Steve Rogan didn't want that number. That is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. So, uh, I mean, what? I mean, listen, we're joking about that, and it's awesome information. But are you just as as anybody around football? Like everybody is just so excited about this game this week, right? Like it's crazy how fired up we all are. I almost got the game on ESPN Radio, and and honestly, I was pining for it. Like you know, (laughs) months ago, I was like, hey, uh, hey, I'm available. (laughs) <laughs> I can run up there to Foxborough. I could do this game, and uh, so I didn't get the I didn't get the nod. But anyhow, Prior- it, yeah, I did. I did. I'm not a big Adele. I'm not a huge Adele fan, but I love the. I loved when I saw <laughs> last Sunday yeah. night when they ran the teaser. I was like, "That's classic. That <laughs> just flat out classic." So prior to your time with the with the Patriots, um, yep. uh, you were were you in the USFL? I was, yeah, yeah. So I came out class of '83 with Elway, Marino, Blackledge, Tony Eason, uh, Jim Kelly, and Ken O'Brien. And my agent happened to be the same agent as Marino and Elway. And he wrapped his arm around me. He said, "Tom, I got news for you. 
you're not going in the first round. Um, <laughs> the USFL, it, however, you might go high in the second round. The USFL is a real league, and they're paying real money. And from now on out, it's strictly business, and that's how, that's how you have to look at it. So I ended up essentially signing about a 15-month contract with the USFL, which covered two seasons, and I only missed one NFL season, and the Patriots drafted me uh, out of UCLA in 83. I was in the 83 draft. Uh, The year after, they held a supplemental draft for all the guys that ditched out and went to the USFL, but 83 draft, I was actually drafted in the later rounds, but I was paid second round money by the USFL. And, uh, and I went in the first round of the open draft of the USFL and stayed in LA, uh, cause it was a great place to live. And, uh, and I got to play with, uh, uh, Hugh Campbell, who was the head coach of the LA express. And by the way, the owner was Bill Daniels, who became a mentor of mine, uh, and got me into the media business. And I'm still in the media business today thanking my lucky stars and Bill Daniels. Well, what's, and what's interesting is the time you came into the USFL in 1983 with the Los Angeles Express and you played for the Oakland Invaders, those two cities, that, that there were still some open wounds because Oakland had just, the Raiders had yeah. just left Oakland before that and were yep. then became the LA Raiders. And of course, now they're here in Vegas. So what do you remember back then as far as those open wounds you know, up in uh, and and tour and and then the the Raider Nation back then while you were playing with the Express. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. I read what Derek Carr said this week, right? Which is, oh, when we go to L.A., it's a home game for us. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it because because it's true. And whether they were in L.A. or whether in Las Vegas, and and pretty much a lot of other places around the the league, they, right? They get a they have a huge following. When I was with the Oakland Invaders, people, yeah, they missed the Raiders. Um, you know, we kind of hung out at some of the same watering holes. But I got to tell you, it's not the same. You know, Otis Sistrunk and uh, John Matuzak and, uh, you, you, know, uh, you know, Kenny Stabler and you, you name it. Go on down the line, right? Uh, Bolitnikoff and all those guys. They never... Um, uh, you know, they never were quite the same. In fact, it reminds me of a story. This is just kind of cute. You guys will get a laugh out of it. So everyone remembers Mark Van Egan, right? Um, and so Van Egan had Van Egan on his jersey. And so Charles Filio was a, a defensive lineman that played with the Raiders, and he came and played with us at the LA Express. And the funny story was Charles Filio went to the equipment manager and said, hey, I want my – I want my first and last name on my jersey, like Van Egan. And they looked at him and went, that is his last name. <laughs> Charles. So Charles was, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he was, a, you know, about 6'8", and about 330 pounds. Just, Charles, you line up and just put your hand in the dirt and take up some room. And that, that's pretty much, uh, but the Van Egan story, I tell you, we all got to laugh at that one. So. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, yeah. man, is a first name. I, I guess yeah. I could, that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but but the USFL was like it was like North Dallas Forty, honest fellas. If you just watch North <laughs> Dallas Forty, you go, wow. You know what? That is how it was back in the old days. And 
you know, I could tell more stories too, but they're probably not suitable for the driving audience. They oh, might crash their car. We don't care about our driving audience. This is fantastic stuff. That's all we care about. We just <laughs> we just want to be entertained ourselves. It's good. It's good stuff as always. Um, yeah, I actually, uh, not too long ago, I don't read many books, but I did read uh, Jeff Perlman's book uh, about oh, the USFL. I thought yeah. it was fantastic. So. I guess we're just shout out and plug other people's books. Why not? Uh, well, yeah. we're here. I thought it was very good, though. Um, we wanted to get into a ton of college football stuff with you, but I, I'm preferring the stories. Uh, but I do want to say, it sounded like, are you going to the Broncos game this week? I can't wait to find I, out how real they are. I am. I am. Uh, through my UCLA connections, uh, the GM just happens to be a, a Bruin, <laughs> uh, George Payton. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be at the game. And, uh, can't wait, right? I, I, actually, the Broncos have surprised me this year. Um, you, you know, I think going with Teddy Bridgewater, at first I didn't think it was a great pickup, and then all of a sudden I've been watching him play every game, and I'm like, you know what? Not only is he really good with the ball, like really good, he he is a great leader, and you know, it was hard to see early in the camp. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure if Bridgewater has the, you know, kind of just the whole buy-in of the team. But I got to tell you, the team has rallied around both quarterbacks. I think Drew Locke is an outstanding quarterback as well. He was just young yeah. and needed to kind of, you know, sometimes quarterbacks need to kind of curate a little bit. They're like a fine wine. And they sometimes they need to sit behind someone and go, Oh, that's how you do it. And Bridgewater, let's remember, he got to sit behind Drew Brees a couple years ago. And remember when he came in for the injured Drew Brees, he lit it up, right? And there's no pressure on the backup to come in and when you have a good supporting cast around you. And, and Teddy's done just that. And uh, I've been really impressed with how he's played, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and oh, by the way, they played the Ravens. I have worked a couple Ravens games in the past couple years for ESPN radio. I will tell you the Ravens have some of the best coached uh, players and they have great personnel as well. But I think John Harbaugh uh, has done an absolutely great job. Uh, You know, they kept their coaches together, Greg Roman on the offensive side and, uh, you know, wink, uh, wink on the defensive side. I mean, their coordinators are great coordinators, and they got a lot of really good players. Be a great game. Yeah, I, I, I mean, those are obviously great coordinators, and you see some great offenses, great defenses around. I, I usually like to judge whether a team is really well coached, top to bottom, based on special teams, and yeah. they've done a great job on special teams over the years. I think it's overlooked aspect of the Ravens for sure. Yeah, usually I'm always, uh, you know, kind of throwing shade on kickers, but I, I really can't. <laughs> Yeah. So much shade on the Ravens kicker since he ends up, you know, owning the longest record <laughs> kick now at 66 yards. And oh, by the way, just put a dagger in the Detroit Lions. Yeah. So it's like I was watching. I was on a plane coming back from uh, had Arizona uh, State and CU last weekend on uh, ESPN TV, and I'm flying back and I'm like watching the game on, and we're landing in Denver. I'm like. You got to be kidding. My wife's like, how long is that field goal? That, that looks like really long. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a record. It's like a 66 yarder and he bangs the upright and it goes in. I mean, that was, that was amazing. And, That's the NFL though. Yep. That is the NFL. And now we get to see him kicking the thin air of Denver this week, which should be fun. McManus can boot it too. That should be a good game 
Uh, that's right. We had a million yeah. college football topics to get into with you. Got to none of them, uh, but that that's the sign <laughs> of a good the sign of a good spot. We had a lot, we just kind of wandered off into some great spaces. We appreciate it. We'll have to get you back. Talk some college football, but uh, what? Uh, where can people find out? Do you have, are you on social media? Can we check check that out? Do you announce what games you're going to be doing? Yes, I'm not on a lot of social media. I'm uh, uh, not in the uh, the demo for social media. I am on Instagram at, right. at Fish and Football. So just uh, all spelled out one word at Fish and Football. Um, I like to fish and I love football. So Perfect. It's pretty easy. Perfect. We thank you, sir, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Great talking to you guys. Appreciate Thanks, man. Great stuff, Tom Ramsey. Uh, give him back very soon. I love, I like that conversation a lot. And uh, we have more, more football to get to wandering around the nation uh, with different spots. Uh, Jay Riley calls UTSA games. They're playing UNLV this weekend. We'll talk to him next. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.